Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. I am your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out, get some more exposure. Uh, obviously, um, I just knocked the can around and I totally lost my place. Um, but if you if you get a five-star review in for us, I might not knock a can around next time. So uh, the, a little incentive for you. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But today, joined by, obviously, a good friend of mine, uh, Tony East, obviously Ford's West Indianapolis Community News, Locked On Pacers. Tony, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. I don't have any cans around me, so I can't knock anything yeah, over. Yeah, I should have just moved this damn thing. Like, I, yeah, it, you know. You so- I, I can turn my camera on just to show you. I'm not going to, but I, I drink, like, the giantest water bottle, like, all day, every day. So I'm just super hydrated. But if I knocked it over, I mean, it would take some force to knock this thing over. So I can't. Yeah. My problem, I drink a lot of like bubble water because I used to drink soda all the time. Oh, yeah, and gotta wean off, yeah, exactly. And it's just, yeah, I always forget if it's empty or not, so I just kind of left it here and <laughs> mistakes were made. That's fair, <laughs> yeah, riveting uh, Pacers content here. Oh, right? it's it's fantastic. I mean, that's where we're at. There was just hardly anything that came out today. Um, we do have some fun stuff to talk about, but Bef- before we get there, I have to ask you as a, as a Wizards diehard, how are you feeling with John Wall being traded? And, um, you know, your your heart is just ripped out now. The diehard days are over since I don't get to watch every Wizards game like I used yeah. to. But yeah, man, I mean, like, he's my favorite player ever. Like, I, I, w- I was an Anton Jameson fan as a kid, so I stumbled into a Wizards fandom of all teams. And they were good with Gil, and then they, they kind of had, like, a, you know, post-Brawl-esque time with, with Gil and the gun stuff. And they were depressing. So winning that wall lottery was, like, a life-changing day of Wizards fandom. And he led them to almost the conference finals and some really fun stuff. And then they depressingly schlupped him away in a salary dump. Mm-hmm. So it was really sad and I'm bummed about it, but I'm excited to watch the Wizards with Westbrook. So. Yeah. Greatest high school who's mixtape of all time. I think it is. I, I, I car has got to sneak in there, but yeah, I think it's gotta be close. I mean, I always get people telling me Austin rivers. I don't think it's that impressive. Uh, well, I, well, so I mean, it's good. obviously impressive. I just think like John's is insane. Like mm-hmm. he literally makes dudes look like they're just but not these even days, on the court. Those editors are so good, right? That like, oh yeah, everyone's looks amazing, right? Like it's yeah, crazy. Exactly. But um, well, I guess last thing on Washington though, I think I wanted to ask you this. I, I forgot to ask you about it on, uh, on Twitter. Um, what do you think about Washington where they're at? Because I think uh, they're like, it, correct me if I'm wrong. I, this is going to be the best spacing that Russell Westbrook's ever had. Easily. So I, I feel like if this, I, I know it's banking on a lot, but I mean, I think the Wizards are going to be a lot better than people are thinking. Um, too. Bradley Beal is going to actually play defense this year. Mm. Um, he's going to probably be more of a secondary guy because Russ is not going to be the secondary guy. That just doesn't happen. Um, like, I, I don't know. I think they're going to be good. Their offense will be probably top five if things click. Uh, their defense I'm less certain about, but they actually have like a really fun group of forwards. Like, I, I love – oddly enough, I love their forward group. Like, Isak Bonga is like one of my favorite guys in the league to watch. Troy Browns are just amazing. Uh, just a really – really funky group of players, but I don't know. I think they're going to be good. Yeah. So I agree with you. It's the most spacing around Russ between like Beal Bertans, Thomas Bryant. They have some okay enough bench shooters that he'll have so much room. And like, I think we saw that with the Rockets last year, the second they traded Capella, 
Russ took off, right? Because mm-hmm. he didn't have someone blocking his path to being Russ. He could just go to the rim all the time and not, not run into spacing. So I think that for sure will click for him. And then, you know, I, I agree with everyone who calls the Russ Beal fit oh, just okay. I, you know, I agree. It's a one ball system kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I always have to remind myself in the back of my head, like Paul George's best season ever. Yeah. Dude, third in MVP was with Russ, right? So there is a coexisting or there's an existing path where a second star is really good. It, he, Paul George is better than Russ that year, right? Like is yeah. really good next to a high usage Russell Westbrook. The rest of the team wasn't so awesome, but no one on the Wizards is so awesome that that's going to, I feel like, be a problem. So there's a, to me, there's enough of a chance that that clicks combined with a great system for us and Beal just overall being a really good player that, yeah, their defense is going to suck, but their offense will be good enough that I, I'll put them right up there with the Hawks to, to be in the eight seed. Hunt. I picked them eight on my own podcast like two days ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think Atlanta's going to be fun too. I don't know. I think it's – uh, I, I'm trying to keep my takes in check. Pacers heels are hot. Exactly. That's kind Coming of. What, I've been thinking about that a lot since the rush trade. Um, just because I like. I mean, the Wizards are a lot closer than I think they're, they're getting credit for. I don't know, and we'll see what happens with Atlanta too. Um, re- regardless, the, I, I think this is probably the best, like the deepest at least, um, that the East has been at the top since probably the early 2010s. Feels like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Pacers got 48 wins and get, you know, fifth seed every year. We're out West. That's ne- that's never good enough. So this year, 48 win pace is going to be like the, the seventh seed probably. So it's going to be a, a wild conference. Uh, I'm excited though. Like the, the East not being good is not that it matters. Like some of the Pacers getting 48 wins is like the eighth seed in the East wins 35 yeah. games. Now that, that it's hard, right. We'll really see how hard it is to make the playoffs when teams are trying to win. Yeah, exactly. I, I I totally agree. There are actually eight playoff teams in the East now, so it'll be it'll be different. And I'm also like so it expands to ten. Yeah, yeah. Don't remind <laughs> me. I'm so uh, annoyed with that. <laughs> I, I'm over play-ins already before they've even happened. I'm sure it'll be fun to watch in the moment, but I'm not about it. Um, so you know, today we're just gonna do some kind of fun and, and quick a little bit. Uh, because I you know I just don't like talking to Tony. I want to get him out of here, but um, <laughs> we're uh, so. All the betting lines are now set for uh, for you know player prop bets headed into the year. I'm going to start off by saying I'm not a big better. I don't really encourage people to go out and bet because I get way too competitive with things and I always lose money anytime I try and do anything uh, that involves uh, trying to get more money. So be careful with that stuff. Um, but you know, from Bet Online AG, we're going to be taking. We're not uh, we're not endorsed by them, but we're using their numbers. Um, we're going to go through look at some of the over-unders for, uh, for the team and for some of the individual players too. And I think we'll just we'll, we'll take either the over or the under and then talk about what's better for the Pacers. You know, is it, it better if they have the over, better if they have the under? Um, and just kind of go from there. I think there can be some fun, uh, fun discussion off that. I love it. I'm all cool. about it. Awesome. Um, well, to start, uh, on W's for the season, uh, the, the betting line right now is at 39 and a half. And re- re- just a reminder to people I gotta listening, it's yeah. a 72 let me, let me uh, the game season. Let me, let me uh, plot the calculator for this. I 70. remember correctly, it's 48. 39.5 divided by 72. That's probably not 48. It's 44.9. Yeah, 40 so it's not 48. yeah, I'm going over on that for sure. Um, because they won, they were on pace to win over 50 last year and they're bringing back literally the same team. Like I get that the East got better. So technically their path to winning more games is harder, but they're not going to be worse than last year. Unless like Vegas thinks Nate Bjorkren's going to be terrible, which 
he might be, but I don't think he's going to be. I think they'll comfortably get to maybe 42 is kind of the, I think me and Adam ran through the, the first half of the schedule and he had 24 wins and I had 22. Uh, so assuming that that maintains right through the second half of the season, I would have them. Um, it's not actually half. It's a little over half the games, but I would have them. Yeah. Low 40. So I'm going to go over that number for sure. I mean, I don't think that I don't if say they won 51 on their pace last year, if they had played all 82, nothing that happened in the league makes me think they'll take six wins worth of step back next year with a coaching change. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, they're bringing back the top 13 players on the roster and ideally, I mean, theoretically Vic will be um, back to at least a better level than he was at in the bubble. So I think the, uh, they're going to obviously be down lower in the standings most likely, but uh, in terms of wins, I agree. I don't really think they're going to take any kind of step back. So I would hammer that over for sure. Um, but it depends on <laughs> injuries. Uh, I was actually doing a write-up on this today. Um, injuries are the biggest swing piece for the Pacers this year, honestly. Like I think, um, I, I mean, of course, Vic reaching a certain level, how Miles gets actualized in the offense, that matters a lot too. But if they're not on the court, that's going to, it's going to matter quite a bit as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, the, the, and Vegas always knows something we don't, right? Like they, yeah. they're so good at this for a reason, but yeah, this year too, like I would, you said that you don't encourage gambling necessarily. I would say if you have the income to do it, it's fun. I don't yeah. do it anymore. I did in college quite, quite a lot, but this season, I would not do it at all because of COVID, right? Like, like Sabonis gets COVID and Broadband gets COVID at the same time. And the Pacers win total drops by like four games, right? Because they're just screwed. They, they mm-hmm. just, you know, that's so much to handle. And who knows what close contact situation that knocks out. Like COVID makes the, the over-under for teams just a stupid bet because one thing like that really screws it all up. So it, I would not bet a win total thing probably, but assuming you know i in every nba preview that any podcast or writing has done this year you know has to you know it's in the back of their mind but they have to assume the best right and assuming things there is no covid problem for the pacers i would say they win more than 39 and a half games yeah i totally agree um so kind of going congruently off of that it's it's funny because the pacers have you know i think that's the seventh in in terms of win totals for uh it's either seventh or eighth. I can't remember. I forgot to write it down. A uh, bad podcaster over here. Um, but they're tied with Washington and Atlanta for eighth in uh, in odds to win the Eastern Conference, which I think is interesting because they were pegged to, to get more wins than either Atlanta um, or Washington. So would you take the over on uh, – obviously not the over for them to win the Eastern Conference. I think both of us would agree that is uh, very unlikely this year. Um, but I, I certainly would say that they should have higher odds than uh, either Washington or Atlanta. Yeah, sometimes with betting, I have to remember in my head that the odds are set to get people to bet and yeah. not necessarily exactly what Vegas, like their odds of prediction. But yeah, I mean, I think they obviously have a better title shot than Atlanta. I mean, what, what is Atlanta's title path? You know what I mean? Like, they're be- they're, Trey Young is great, but he's definitely not best player on a title team good yet. He's not even best player on a conference finals team good yet. And their second best player is John Collins, who... Yeah, exactly. Like, who is their second best player? Is, I mean, I guess it's John, yeah. but like... Gallo, he, go good, two good players. Don't get me wrong, two good players. Definitely not uh, second best second best player in a conference title. So, no, the, the, you know, Sabonis is uh, probably has... I don't know. He trades better than Sabonis for sure. But, you know, when it comes to playoff impact and stuff like that, it, we yeah. haven't even seen Trey on that level yet. I guess we haven't seen Sabonis at his current level yet either, but you know, it's hard for me to see a path for the Hawks that have a reasonably better shot of get even reaching the conference finals than the Pacers. But what do I know? You know what I mean? They're Vegas again. They're geniuses. 
Yeah, it's interesting too. So like uh, just the, I love talking about the whole league. Um, you know, looking at Atlanta, I did a podcast with Chris Kirshner two weeks ago um, who covers uh, the, the Hawks for the Athletic. Um, and he was the first person who broke it to me that Danilo Gallinari came in with the intention to be the sixth man, um, which I, I find, I mean, it's, it's kind of wild to me. I have no idea what they're going to look like. I think they're like, they just have so many guys who you can picture playing in crunch time lineups. Um, and you just have no idea how it's going to factor out. Like they have, uh, I mean, they're just like 11 or 12 real rotation players there. Um, and it's just interesting to look at what they're going to be. I have no idea how, I mean, they could be the 29th ranked defense in the league, honestly. Um, but I also think we're forgetting that Clint Capella exists and he's like, not like he's not miles's level of defensive, uh, defensive ability, but he's like close. I don't think it's like too far of a drop off. So I think, um, Atlanta's gonna be good. I don't know. Pretty wild that Kevin Herter's just not gonna play. Like, yeah. I mean, Bogdan McDonovich is just like better Kevin Herter, isn't he? Much better Kevin Herter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, but they, you know, you don't you don't throw a ton of money at Rajon Rondo and Chris Dunn and then go. All right, yeah, I didn't love. Not playing at I was all. not a big fan of the Rondo signing personally. Like, they I get did it. Everything they did except Rondo, I like. I would give them the best offseason in the league, but then they did Rondo. It's like, yeah, bro, yeah. If it's like a one year deal, I'm like, okay, but like, yeah, bring. I just yeah, I wasn't like super high on that, but. Chris Dunn, I can't believe that he went for that low. If if I'd known he was going to go that low, I would have said Pacers throwing off for Adam, even though you don't need another guard. Yeah. I love Chris Dunn. I'd love to watch him play. Yeah, Hawks did did great this offseason. And yet again, no, I guess the Pacers don't have any either. So maybe I'm just blowing too much smoke here, but no proven playoff players. They have, I mean, Gallo's been in the playoffs like once or twice. Capella had James Harden uh, make him look awesome in the playoffs a few times. So I guess Capella might be a proven playoff player, but. That's it. Rondo. Okay. Rondo, but for Rondo of 2020. Well, I mean, yeah, it's playoff Rondo. Damn it. You're right. Okay. They do have some proven playoff guys. As I talk myself into the Hawks. Yeah. They look, we all know why they should have less championship odds than the Pacers, but you know, they're, they're coming on their heels again. So maybe it all clicked for them, but I would yeah. say they should not have that high of odds. Yeah, no, I agree. Totally. Um, so getting into the player prop bets now, this is where it gets exciting. So we're going to start off with Domas. Um, We'll do points per game and rebounds because those are the two that they have. Um, rebounds, not obviously not as exciting. But with points, they have him at 17 and a half. Um, you know, he was around there this season, obviously all-star year. Um, I'm interested to know what you think if you would take the over or under on this. 17 and a half, you say? Yeah, he averaged 18 and a half this you year. Say he was over 18 last year. But I think – so this one's interesting because I think part of Bjorkren potentially improving the offense will be that Sabonis has the ball less. Mm-hmm. And in that naturally, even if they continue to have some sort of focus on giving Sabonis the ball, well, the depot's inclusion in the lineup will give Sabonis the ball less or make him finish plays less. Yeah. So that's really close. Of course, again, all these are going to be good because Vegas has a good, I might go under there because as good as Sabonis is, I think that his usage might've been a little too high at times last year. Right. We saw in the bubble, right. When you, when you give, Good perimeter players who can handle the ball a lot, the ball a lot, Warren, Brogdon, whoever, the team can be good. And the, the spacing around that being Sabonis or Turner doesn't necessarily matter because Sabonis provides spacing in a different way. But if they only have one center in the court and they figure out that perimeter stuff and Bjorkren's creativity involves more weak side cutting, I think that Sabonis' assist numbers will probably go up. We'll maybe get to that. But I think his points and the number of possessions he finishes trying to score will probably go down. So I'm going to go under 17 and a half. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I would. That's something I've been trying to wrestle with. I, I don't know if you read the piece I did on, uh, you know, how the rotation might shape out, given on, um, you know, some of the stuff that's been coming out of uh, press conferences and media availability. Um, do you think that Domas is going to see less minutes on the court next year? Because that's yeah. something I've exactly like. Yeah. That's where I, I've I've gotten tripped up with it because. They want to play Goga more. Um, I mean, I believe KP's exact phrasing was, "We let, have let's to make get up. Him let, let, let me let me cut you off right there, Mark. They say they want to play." Yeah, him. yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> um, it sounds nice in principle, like because exactly. I, I was. I'm just, writing was, about that. Is why. Yeah, I'm trying to do the math in my head. I'm like, okay, so they want to play TJ at the four. They yeah. have to get Goga more minutes. So who isn't playing? Like it's. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh wait, they also want Miles to to play a lot and play on the perimeter more. So yeah, it's something I, is I, not yeah. happening of those things, and I think we all know which one it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, but yeah, exactly. I mean, like, exactly. That's such a good point. I mean, Domas is still like the only guy who can screen on the roster. So like who, who is, who's taking those minutes from him? So I don't know. I think I, I might take the over just because he, he'll probably, he's supposedly going to shoot more threes this year. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's like, there's a, there's a solid chance that he ends up like right at 17 and a half or just over. I would take it just because it'll be boring if I say I'm going to take the under two. Um, <laughs> okay. Also, enough. so this one, I originally thought this was going to be really boring to include, but I, I do want to bring it up because I think it's interesting. Um, so rebounds for Domas is at 12 and a half. And exactly his number last year. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I find this one interesting more for, is it good for him to be at 12 and a half and over, or is it better if he's under? I think this is an interesting question. Well, the Pacers uh, were okay, I guess, defensive rebounding last year and just awful offensive rebounding. Well, yeah. They were not good at either, honestly. But Yeah, they were pretty the, poor. The bonus was pretty plodding under the basket. He can't really jump, so he's just a mm-hmm. good positional rebounder. But let's go back two years when they had healthy Vic for a while. Vic's a pretty good rebounder for a guard, and he and Sabonis very scarcely overlapped last season. But I do think they loved, they loved Vic as the low man so he could catch the board and push. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that was something McMillan always said specifically is like, I want Vic as the low man, even when he's guarding whoever in press conferences. And I would ask him about Vic's defense. So I think that Vic's reinsertion into a heavy role with the team alongside Sabonis should make his rebounding at most stagnate, even if he plays the same amount of minutes. So 12 and a half is very tough. I think it'd be right at that, but I might go a tiny bit under because if Bjorkren's going to go for this, Helter skeltery disruptive defense and chaotic offense. I think that that involves a lot of not emphasizing offensive rebounds, you know, and getting back on D to set up that sort of thing. And he loves pace and transition, which is going to involve again, less people pushing the defensive glass. So I imagine uh, that, you know, maybe they can still be better at, at not missing rebounds or boxing out, but I imagine that in general, their emphasis and strategy with rebounding will uh, be different just enough that i'd put sabonis at about like 12 or 12.2 or something yeah yeah see i yeah i would take the under two and just kind of like along that same line especially with vic coming back um you know i think i look at it in terms of uh one of my favorite things and one of the ways that i learned that i was first weird about basketball was i read i think it might have been one of bobby marks's first articles at espn um i can't remember it was one of it was one of the first analytical articles i ever read talking about uh, Brooke Lopez's impact as a rebounder and how he's a better rebounder than people give him credit for. And, and then the n- number shows, I mean, obviously I grew up as a kid thinking, wow, Brooke Lopez is such a bad rebounder. He's seven feet tall and he only gets six and a half boards a game. 
Um, but you look at like the net rebounding that lineups have with him on the court. And when you actually really pay attention to it, like one of the best at boxing guys out in the league. I mean, there are times where he'll, he, he would box out two guys. Like it's ridiculous. Um, and so I think Domas, I'm not trying to say that he's a rebound chaser or anything like that. But my, my, my point is um, if you get guys like, especially TJ Warren, I think that's a huge step for him become, he's a bad defensive rebounder. Um, like he just gets so caught out of position um, like oftentimes he'll either just leave his guy that he could box out completely open and go like halfway towards the board and not sure if he should get it. And then somebody else gets it or uh, it's an offensive rebound. So I think that like, if, if you can get more guys on the roster who are able to, um, you know, hit the defensive glass better and Domas is able to just kind of prevent the best offensive rebounder on the other team from getting the ball. I think that's a win. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, but he's really good at boxing out. That's yeah, exactly. That's what. But so I guess it's more just on, um, you know, the surrounding players getting boards more. But yep, yeah, you know, and they and some of the problems last year were like Jeremy Lamb started for three quarters, two thirds of the season. I guess it's more accurate. And Jeremy Lamb, the second a shot goes up, just turns around and watches. Right, like he yep. he doesn't look <laughs> for a body. He doesn't crash the glass. That's not going to happen as much. You know, they don't have Aaron Holiday and. TJ McConnell as much this year, but they're both tiny and not good rebounders, right? I think that as a team, they'll probably be a little better at rebounding, not much, but a little bit better. Um, but Sabonis individually is going to take a small step back numerically while improving. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so on to our next guy, uh, because they don't have assists per game for Domas. Uh, but I do want actually, so give me your, uh, what's your assist take for Domas? Five and a half. And who, six, six. You think six? He's so smart that he just, I think a coach that actually provides him cutting and spacing. I, this is all assuming what the players are saying and, mm-hmm. and the the nuance of Bjorkren is all accurate. But if if it all is, the the, the cutting and the spacing and, and the domas the domasing that's not a verb. But, <laughs> it, um, it should be a verb. Let's make it should be a verb. Well, all I think it will all align well, and he will get up to maybe six or a little over even six assists per game because he that dude can pass. He he doesn't make. So the thing about Domas passing, and I need to I need to get this more exactly right. He gets a lot of handoff assists, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if those are just gone from the playbook, or if those are less often. Then he'll probably be down in assists. But I yeah. think that yeah, he doesn't make a ton of skip passes, but he's good at using his post ups to draw leverage and make the read. So his volume for a big man is really good. His quality, this is a B ball index kind of thing. His quality is not quite as good, but he's a really good creator for a big man, and I think Bjorkren's going to use that well. Well, yeah, too. I mean, I think you could also see a lot more of him um, operating the high post, kind of like what Marcus Saul did throughout his career. Because, yeah. um, I mean, we saw some of that last year. But again, like you're mentioning, so much of it is just off of those dribble handoff actions. Um, and I think he's a better passer than that. You know, I, not that he's a bad passer, but I think that's something that I'm interested to see. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think six would be kind of awesome. And maybe he'll get another all-star selection, whether or not people would like that. I think that there was definitely some Domas fatigue with the all-star game, even though it was his first all-star appearance. Um, that, there was a lot of, I, those tweets just like popped up on my timeline again um, from when, when people were uh, complaining about him being nominated as an all-star. So that was a, uh, that was a, that was an interesting ride. It was so good. I, did, I didn't get it. He was obviously yeah, I didn't, the I didn't get on it. a very good team. And it didn't, whatever. It was so weird. Yeah. I didn't understand it either, but yeah, alas. Um, on to Malcolm Brogdon. So, Points per game is set at 17 and a half, just like Domas. Wow. He was lower than that for sure. Yeah, he was 16 and a half this year. Yeah. 16 and a half. Yeah, I think he'll go up, right? Like, yeah. like as the natural follow up to what I said off of Domas, right? Where they kind of a combo of discovering in the bubble and changing coaches, they, they're going to go more perimeter guys have the ball just in general. And 
in basketball. That's how the NBA works these days. Let's draw from the Raptors a little too. A lot of Kyle and Fred stuff happens, right? Mm-hmm. They just those guys have the ball out. Those even if they're not even initiating, they're just getting the play started. They they have the ball out. They can be clever, creative guys. And Brogdon's smart and and he's good, right? Before before he got hurt last year, he was he would have been the All Star for the Pacers. Oh yeah. So I think yeah, I think that the pivot from maybe Domas's touches going down a little bit. Um, it, maybe it's Warren gets all of them because he was that good in the bubble that he's earned a shot to show what he can do like full-time number one option. But I think that it with it spread around, we're going to see tiny bits of statistical improvements from Warren, from Brogdon, from even Turner. So yeah, I think Brogdon's points will go up uh, enough to be over that just slightly. Yeah, I would agree with that too. And I also think something that we may see this year, or at least I'm, I don't want to say hopeful because I, it's not that I don't believe in Malcolm, but I just think given, you know, who he is as a player, I think his usage will probably balance out a little bit. I mean, he had a 10% usage jump from Milwaukee to, to Indiana, which is obviously massive. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I think he's he's so much more of a just a, a combo guard with a nice handle than a, a true lead guard. And I think a lot of it was just um, Nate McMillan's system and also needing yeah. him to be that player with Vic out. Um, I, I think, yeah, I'm hopeful that his finishing and shooting numbers will really improve. Um, as he gets off ball a little bit more. And I think even if he's taking less shots, they're going to be more efficient shots. So um, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see him up over 17 and a half. So, so Brian is so interesting because the, the the terms primary creator and secondary creator are so valid and, and good mm-hmm. for NBA analysis, but he's neither. He's like a 1.5. Yeah, three. exactly. I think it's, it's interesting. <laughs> Both him and Vic are really like, 1.5 guys yeah like because yeah. vic at his best pretty injury vic was a one but now well, yeah, yeah yeah pretty injury vic was a one for himself right. but more of like a one and a half for others he's never been right. like a super high level playmaker um but yeah i i agree it's interesting because like i think at the end of the day the at least in my mind the ideal route for the pacers is obviously i mean no no shit vic becomes a primary creator <laughs> yeah. again and yeah. malcolm's like a one and a half off ball guy but um yeah i agree so like Lowry became a primary, he has always mm-hmm. been, but like, you know, the Raptors have done, I, I, I don't mean to pick the Raptors because of Bjorker and this is just a genuine Raptors thought is they've done a good job over the years of like pre Lowry, I guess the Rosen was kind of a primary, but he like Vic was not the playmaker for a while of having a lot of 1.5s be a good sum. Yeah. Right? They, they spread it out really well. This was even pre nurse. This was Dwayne Casey days. They did a really good job of having a lot of 1.5s equal a really nice sum on offense. Yeah, so I think it's a copyable thing to not have an alpha and still have a good offense. It's just can they do it? But back to Brogdon's fit of the yeah, I think that I think just naturally a, a better, a slightly better situation for him where he's not the highest usage guy or one of the highest usage guys will lead to him being a little more efficient and a little better scoring. Yeah, I agree. Um, and also I think that's a great point with the Raptors. Like you can if if, if you erase the the Kawhi Leonard year I mean there are a lot of parallels between this team and where the Raptors were at before Kawhi Leonard got there um obviously I think they've, they've gone farther than the playoffs um but you know you look at it and it's, it's kind of similar roster constructions a little bit um just like the way of there's not really a true star you're kind of figuring your way out through how you create offense and obviously having like good defenses and it's it's it, if you squint it's there um so kind of in tandem with Malcolm uh, the betting line is at six and a half assists per game for me. It was at 7.1 this past year. Um, I will take the under actually. I will too. That's funny. I just said, Hmm, because I was thinking about it. Um, yeah. I mean, if he's going to have the ball last, his assists will just go down. Right. And <laughs> duh. And Vic will take some of the, the playmaking load, you know, Warren can finish his own plays. We, we talked about all this stuff with Domas. Domas assist goes up. Brogdon's go down. There we go. Done. Yeah. 
<laughs> totally agree. Um, so on to the next player. Uh, let's do – we'll do TJ. So TJ Warren, their points per game. This one was actually a little bit spicy. They set him at 20 and a half. Um, and points? Yeah. Duh, points. duh. What the hell am I thinking? No, for blocks. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think TJ's had maybe like 20 blocks his whole career. So Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Um, 20 and a half. Okay. Yeah. So, so I thought – Wow, that one's tough. So this one's interesting too, because when I did that exercise looking at the rotation, given TJ Warren's just a, a, the fact that he's such a good player already and what he showed in the bubble, but then also the fact that he's the only player on the roster who is able to guard threes and fours that are his like size. So obviously, I mean, Justin Holiday can guard threes and fours, but he shouldn't have to guard fours. It's asking too much of him. Um, I think, you know, I mean, trying to get TJ more minutes at the four, trying to make all these things happen. Like I actually think he could be one of the players who sees a minutes jump this year, um, just given how important he is to the team and what he can do. I mean, it was at 33 minutes per game last year. I really don't see him falling off from there. I'm trying to do math in my head kind of. It's very I'm difficult. Going. I remember so, I, I had okay, to do a so, spreadsheet to make everything. happen. Yeah. So, okay. So his three point percentage jump became in 2018 and it was a, like a 20% jump, right? So yeah. some of his advanced stats are kind of hard to perfectly calibrate with his efficiency jump. But what I was just looking at is his highest usage was 2017-18, pre his three-point jump at just mm-hmm. under 25%. And then it went down to 22.7. And then with the Pacers, it was 23.3. So if he gets the ball more, as I'm presuming he will, because a bubble fatigue will hop early in the year, he deserves a chance. I think he's earned a shot to show he can be that good. Right. And I I don't, I don't think they're going to do it at the expense of the team, but like they're going to, you know, early in the season, I think he's going to be the number one option. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. Like if you have a player who showed what TJ did in the bubble, if you don't give him the opportunity to run things for at least a little bit, then you're you're doing a disservice to your team. I agree. So as his usage dropped, his efficiency went up, which is what I was, uh, I was trying to figure out, you know, the inverse happens for a lot of guys, but his three point percentage taking a massive, massive jump really inflates the correlation that typically happens for players. So if T, you know, TJ's not going to take all these off the bounce threes he creates for himself. He's typically more of a catch and shoot guy, despite being a really good off the bounce player. It's just more, you know, driving inside the air kind of stuff. So I think, I think with increased usage, his efficiency will still be better than it was in Phoenix. Obviously his three point percentage is, is astronomically better. Mm-hmm. So if they get his usage to like 25, 26%, I think he'll be about 21 points, 20 point, 20.5 points. That was so hard to say. So I will, gosh, I'll take the over on that, but there's, you know, there's a chance that, and this is, you know, who knows how teams are going to scout the Pacers next year, but because they brought back the same roster, it's kind of easier, right? Even though it's a new coach, they could still see guys tendencies. I, how long is, if, if he's really good, it'll last the whole season, but how long is the bubble magic going to last? How long are they going to go to him to be that guy for is a factor here, but I think it'll be about 21 this year. So I'll take the over. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I'd probably take the over too. Um, it's, yeah, it's so interesting to look at this and think about it. Like, um, unless his handle like took massive leaps and bounds, um, over the course of the off season, which there was not really a lot of time for that to happen, but I guess anything's possible. Um, it's just hard to see him running a ton of stuff on ball. That's not with the bench unit running the four, which is also, I think part of the reason why you got to get him at the four, because his handle's good. Um, at least like it's okay. I don't even know if I'd even say good. It's decent. Um, it's like a little bit loose. He's not a great playmaker for others, but if he's matched up against fours, he can completely cook on his own. Um, but when it's, you know, when he's up against someone like Jimmy Butler, you know, that's when he struggles a little bit with getting his, uh, his own shot off without being set up. Cause I remember that was like the most, uh, 
opening thing to my eyes. I remember thinking in, in Phoenix, TJ Warren was a guy who was like an ISO God or whatever you want to call um, whatever clutch points would put on their graphic. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think when you, when you really look at it now, I didn't realize how, how much of a difference it was like, I mean, obviously he finishes things in isolation, but he's not a guy who sets himself up into isolation. He has to yes. um, get put into scenarios to optimize himself. Yep. Um, so I think if, if he's able to get to a point where he doesn't have to get set up to optimize himself, that's where you could see that jump. But regardless, I think he'll probably be over. Um, I just like talking a lot, but yeah, I think he'll be over 20 and a half points per game. The real TJ Warren evolution. I wanted this offseason. Here's what I hope he did every day in the gym. Two hours of he dribbles around a screener, he dribbles one hard dribble to the elbow, and then throws a skip pass to the corner, and then, yeah. and then does it over and over again. Because- and then I also hope that he uh, he worked on um, gosh, what am I even trying to say? He worked on not getting back cut on curls. Um, <laughs> yes, that was the other one. That's like the only thing watching his film. He improved so much as a defender this year, but that was like the one thing that he just got on the ball killed on this year. Oh my god, yeah, on the ball, but off ball is just yeah, it's. Part of it, I th- I don't know. It's interesting because part of it, I think they uh, not that they let guys get away with it, but so much of that gets covered up because of how good Miles is. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, that's, that's something I'm definitely looking forward to. Warren had seeing. one, he had one pass he could do that makes the defense not just be able to just like, all right, let's just send three guys at him right now. Like, yeah. All of a sudden, it's like, damn, they, you know, his, the counters for him are a lot fewer. But whatever, you know. I think yeah. It's gonna blow up. yeah, it's so crazy too. Because last thing on TJ, I mean, like we think about um, how good he was in the bubble. And then I think there was, I, I, I obviously, I, you know, I don't think either of us ever said that he had a bad playoffs, but like there was just kind of the idea that he wasn't really not that, I mean, he wasn't the, obviously wasn't the same player in the playoffs um, and struggled a little bit, but you look at what he did in the playoffs. He was still freaking amazing. Like he, he was still over his like season averages doing stuff on like solid efficiency. Like um, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm so excited for him this year. Um, Yep, I'm looking forward to it. I yeah. hope the expectations don't get too high for him. But I yes, I agree. I think that's uh, that's something that we definitely have to watch out for a little bit. But um, I, I'm not expecting him to average 26 points per game this year. That's uh, that's for damn yeah. sure. But anything's possible. So <laughs> no, just redacted. Um, yeah. So next is Miles because um, we're just going through starters. Um, so okay. for Miles, the current betting odds for points per game are sitting at the over unders at 12 and a half and. I, this, this one's tricky. Is it 12.1 this year? Um, I'm not sure. I want to go over. But so, so, so here's where we're at. We're three players in. We both agree that Domas is going to pass more and score less. And we both think Brogdon and Warren score a little more. Mm-hmm. So if we, I think it's possible that Turner is utilized amazingly with Bjorker and, and can score 14 points a game. I think that's possible. But if that's the case, Oladipo is doing like nothing. With this. Yeah, not, <laughs> not nothing. You know, what I mean, like that—that's harsh. But it's hard. To, yeah, at if, some point, like you can't have six guys scoring twenty points per game. That's just right. not how it works. But if Miles is being utilized properly, either one of our Brogdon Warren predictions are wrong, and I would say it's Warren, or Vic is just like uh, <laughs> like an off-ball threat, and that's fine. Maybe that's what he is now, but. I would say that it's it's more likely that Turner's average hovers around what it was last year because all the actions involving a bigger they're just going to use Sabonis, right? They're, Turner's going to be – as much as – even if Turner is just pick and pop and stand behind the three-point line threat who takes six or seven threes a game, which would be awesome uh, with the starters, like he's not going to get the ball enough to get to, to 
14, 15 points. So the 12, like last year, seems about right. So I'll take just under 12 and a half, fully knowing that Bjorkern could go, oh man, this dude is a unicorn freak and use him in a totally different way and make him awesome. I am going to take the over just because I'm hoping that, that ideally that's what happens for the team, right? Like I think, um, yeah, you know, okay. I wrote about I, I this. I want to go back. Sorry. I'm oh, yeah. add one more addendum. If there's another chance that he's over and Sabonis goes from 18 and a half to like 14 points and then, Ooh. and then it's possible. Anyway, go ahead. But do we want that to happen? Is that good for the team? I, depends. TBD. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's the, uh, it's such an interesting dilemma to look at. Like, cause I think the, I, like I was writing on this today for, uh, uh, somebody asked me to write like a preview on the Pacers for them. So I, I don't even remember who it was to be completely honest. Um, it just sounds so shitty, but um, you know, looking at, at the team, like I was thinking about like what really matters for the Pacers next year and, you know, looking at their range of outcomes and, and who's going to have the most impact on it. I think obviously number one is Vic, like that's unequivocal. Um, but then you look at miles and I'm like, there are so many ways that things could work out for Miles. You could be the same player next year. You could actually, you know, take a step back next year, which I am very hopeful will not happen. But, um, you know, just the way things work out, that's entirely possible. But then there's also that that outcome that we always talk about and we always imagine like, well, this is what Miles could be. If Miles is able to take that leap, I think that maybe does more for the Pacers than just about anything else. Um, yes. And that's that's easy to say, but like, um, I don't know. I think that there's a case. I was very much so in on the, you need to get a guy who can play a four, a forward or wing um, for miles. And I think that was obviously, you know, so that's true with Gordon Hayward, all that stuff. Um, but if, if miles reaches his actualized version, is there a case to say that it's funky? It's weird enough that you're doing different things than other teams that maybe that's better than having a, a, another winger forward on the team. Yeah. Like I think people who really watch the Pacers and there's a small group of milestones left, but which is fair. He there are dozens of us. Yeah, <laughs> there. Yeah, they're shown. He's shown like his flashes are just so crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I so unicorny and crazy that I get it. So I think Pacers fans are. I finally reached the like they they're, they he got killed by expectations every year. It's, that's finally over. I think most people are like this is who he is, but I also think most Pacers fans know outside of rebounding, which boomers think he just is awful at. I think most Pacers fans know that he's been used wrong basically his whole career, right? To be mm-hmm. the guy that that uses those flashes to be an awesome, impossible to stop player every game, every year, whatever. He has not been used correctly his entire career. He's been asked to pop to the elbow and roll sometimes and it's not dribble ever, like reverse the ball. Reverse the ball, what the hell is this high school? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that there is potentially a middle ground between this is who he is and this is what he can be when he utilized correctly. But I also think, you know, finally him not being doomed to by expectations could be good for him. So I'm just really interested to see what a new coach can do with him because that, that'll be his third coach. And that could be the nail in the coffin of like any sort of raised expectation or thought of what he can bring to a team. And just like this dude already is damn good, but like, you know, this is it, this is what he is damn good at. Or, wow, you know, look look what idiots they've had before <laughs> running this guy. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so next thing on Miles is, is rebounds. Uh, it's set at six and a half per game. Um, I would like to take the over. I'm not sure. He averaged 6.6 this year. So, I But I also answer. think he's probably going to see a decrease in minutes this year. He, I agree with that. I think he'll end up about 28 minutes a game. So like yeah. One and a half last night. He's at 6.6. Yeah. Okay. I'll just take the under then. Yeah. 
if he's playing less than he averaged six point six last year, I'll take the under. Like we talked about, Vic's going to be more of a rebounding focus, and so unless Miles gets a lot more solo center minutes, which means he would be playing less, uh, I don't see how he could just magically get re- more rebounding opportunities. So unless Sabonis gets hurt, then he could get the over, but I'd take the under on that. Yeah, even if Sabonis gets hurt, maybe he doesn't hit the over. Yeah. Um, no, sorry, <laughs> so rude. Um, I always, I always hype up Miles. It's not his fault that he's a bad rebounder. He just doesn't have any bend. Um, so well, yeah. Lastly, on Miles, they actually they had three prop bets for Miles and no one else on on the Pacers, which I thought was funny. Um, two and a half blocks per game, which I definitely, I think I'll take the under on this. Um, I mean, he was at two last year. Uh, he was at three. The two year and a half. That's high. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like he, seven. He led the league with that, right? Yeah, I think so. He, he yeah, no he way he's over that under. Done. Yeah, I agree. That's under. so high. Not that that's not that he's not going to block a shit ton of shots. He's like yeah, one of the best three guys that in the league. But that's just really high. Yeah, I agree. And then okay, so there is a fourth one that since that one was fast, I'll I'll, really? I'll, I'll throw it in. Uh, defensive player of the year. He's tenth in odds. Oh, okay. So plus thirty three hundred for Miles as defensive player of the year. I truly, this is where I truly feel offer for Miles is that he has been probably one of the most, you know, ten to fifteen most impactful defensive players in the NBA for three years, four years yep. in a row. But Embiid and Gobert play the same position, so he hasn't yeah, got exactly. any awards for it. like fucking nothing. I probably shouldn't have said that, but no, like just fine. Just nothing, which sucks because he he's been too good to just walk away with no hardware for it. But yeah, he's not gonna win it. Like he's he's just, <laughs> he's just not right. Yeah, no. Gobert or Davis, like unless all three of those guys get hurt and 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 Sabonis gets hurt, so Miles is playing like thirty-five minutes a game. It's just it's not gonna happen. So uh, no, uh, no, I'm not gonna bet him on that. And I don't think those odds are reflective of his actual chances. But he deserves odds because he's a really good defender, I guess. Yeah, no, I would totally agree. I think wasn't it was uh, eighteen ninety? He finished third, didn't he? Finish third in defensive player of the year. Which year? Eighteen ninety? Yeah, no, no, did no? he? Or was it fifth? He might have. He was he third. Definitely he definitely got, finished he got in the top a lot ten. Of votes. Let me let me just Google it. Right I know I should have had that. You talk, up. I Google. No, yeah, I know it was like somewhere around there, but it's interesting because I totally agree. I would. They need to have a third all defensive team. Like I am so on board with that. There are enough good defenders in the NBA that Patrick Beverly should not be on an all defense team. That was, I don't know about you. Fit. That was You're so right. annoying to me. He, he did fit. not deserve to be on the all defense team over some of the guys he got over. Um, you were correct. He was fifth. Okay. Uh, right behind Embiid, who again, of course, you know, he's not making any all all defense team because Gobert's one and Embiid's four. Like fifth best defender in the league. doesn't make all defense team. Stupid. Yeah, I, exactly. Like that's, that's what I also eliminate positions. Um, I, I kind of get having positions on all defense, but at the same time, like just put like the 15 best defenders on there. Um, I like positions for what I, I guess it doesn't matter for individuals, but like in college football, which I don't actually watch, but I always see, <laughs> I always see like Heisman tracker and it's like six quarterbacks. I'm like, yeah, exactly. You guys matter, you know, like <laughs> we need to, we need to give some awards to these other positions instead of just having six quarterbacks stumble into this, you know, prestigious award all the time. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Um, and it's fun. Well, it's not, it's not funny. It also makes me think too, like if there'd been a third team, all defense, I would argue even without third team, all defense, like there was a year or two where I thought Thad was definitely deserving. Like, Oh my God, that was so good. That was so good defensively. Like, Oh God, it makes me sick thinking about the fact that he did not get all defense. Um, and it won't ever happen now because he's already 32 or 33, but yeah, alas, add a third team, all defense. If you're listening, Adam Silver, um, so for the last prop bet, 
Victor Oladipo at 19 and a half is the over under for points per game. No, 19 and a half. No, under done. Oh my gosh. Does does the does this does betonline.ag or whatever they're called actually like their name? Yeah, I they, think so. They they must think he's gonna have the ball a lot more than I do. 18, yeah. when he was really good, not really good. He was an all-star in 2018-19, and he was 18.8. He's not gonna be an all-star this year. So he's it's, what? No. Yeah, I yeah, probably I, I guess no. I well not even I guess no, it's definitely gonna be no. Um, but what if it was above that? <laughs> That's the Pacers season, right? Like, what's the biggest storyline around the Pacers? I get asked that for the lockdown stuff and all that. When they, yeah. Well, if Vic's really good, they're really good. So, uh, Yeah, it's crazy, it. too, just, like, looking at his stats and everything and realizing how much of an outlier the 17-18 season was for him in, like, every facet of the game. Yep. Well, he got hurt in 18-19 pretty early. So, like, yeah, no. I don't remember how good he was for that first month, but he was definitely good. But yeah, he, I mean, pull up threes, like drilling them at the rim, like everything went in. I mean, he was unbelievable. He, he was, was really, really good. Like there's a reason he was an all-star. He was the worst all-star in 18, 19 for sure, but he deserved it. He was still good. So actually, all right. Interesting thing. So here is the first 14 games of the 18, 19 season. So if you include, okay, you can include 15, but that's uh, just about where he gets hurt. Okay. Um, the first time when, uh, you know, when he has this like first knee strain. Right. Um, so this is our, yeah, 16 games, uh, 44% from the field, just about 35% from three, but on seven attempts per game, uh, 21, seven and five. Yeah. So like, that's just about what he'd been averaging the year before, just on slightly less efficiency. Um, okay, then he's out, then he's out for 10 games and then yep. his next stretch, I have it up now so I can talk to it. Then he comes back and his next stretch is, 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 42 34 splits and it's 18 8 point oh wait i i'm dumb that's his, his season stats i am so good at clicking on my phone okay the 20 games after he comes back before his devastating injury 40 percent from the field 34 percent from three and that's 16.6 five and six so obviously it had a huge impact on his scoring so he was really good still before some minor injuries right so yeah he's not gonna he's not he might sniff like the that middle level there that we talked about that i just brought up those 20 games and that was 16.6 he was still good then but he wasn't as good right so no 18.5 he's not hitting 16.5 maybe i would have thought about it 18.5 he's not hitting yeah no i guess i would definitely have to agree with that um so here's my interesting thing though like i think i i agree i don't think that he's going to be um at 19 and a half, but I also think that's okay because a, I mean, number one, you look at where the team was at in 17, 18, there was, I mean, I guess Bojan was the second best score. Not, I guess, I mean, Bojan was the second best score. Um, Miles was probably the third option on offense that year. I mean, yeah. Darren was a pretty unwilling, not, I don't want to say he was unwilling, but like the year that he shot like 45% from three was because they were all wide open. Um, yep. Like, I, I don't know. There just weren't really a ton of other scoring players on the team. It's so different now. Like, I think if you get Vic scoring like 16, 17 points per game, but he shows the efficiency he did, this is one of my favorite things to look at. Like, I have so many thoughts off of it because you look at the seven games that he played before the hiatus, um, after he has a six, the six-game losing streak when he's getting worked back into the rotation and everything. Well, he's starting seven games, 48% from the floor, 40% from three. He's doing his thing at the line, and he's not an awesome – he's never been an awesome free-throw shooter. Um, 
he's like pretty average, but then, I mean, 16, four and three, uh, I think his passing will be better. The rebounding will probably be higher too. But like, I think if he's on like that kind of efficiency, I don't think he's going to shoot 40% from three, but you know, like the, he was, he was doing well at the rim. He was getting to the rim. Um, and he just, especially I, I point to that Boston game, always that final game right before the shutdown, that is the best game that he's played in, you know, two years. Um, so I think, it, it, we, we saw that for a small stretch, like on that West Coast road trip too, of what he looked like. And I just think part of, I've thought a lot about this too. Like, I think part of the reason why he really struggled in the bubble is not having Domas because obviously his burst isn't the same. And I think he's working on getting that back. I don't know if that'll ever be back. Um, but, you know, I really thought about it. It's like not having anybody who could set screens or really do anything that gets him open the way that Domas is able to. I think that had a huge impact on what he looked like um, in the bubble. And so I, I it's, I, I don't know what he's going to look like. Obviously I don't think anybody does. Um, but I do think that there's an Avenue where he gets to that, uh, that level again. Um, obviously not the same level of 17, 18. He's not going to be on the same usage ever, probably. I'm nope. um, just given the nature of the team. And that's a good thing. I mean, you don't, you don't want him to have to be that high usage. Um, but I, I do think that there's an Avenue where he gets to being that, that super efficient player still. Yeah, I agree with all that. I mean, I just, I don't know what to make of it. Right. Like even when he was okay at times in the bubble, wasn't, he's not going to sniff 18 and a half points a game this year yeah. in the playoffs. He was not good enough. And right. He's just too, he was too skittish that he, he was too reliant on the pull up and maybe, maybe his health makes him a more confident shooter and more willing driver. But I, mean, I agree with everything you just said. And I, I don't know necessarily that I think that, that uh, he's going to be as healthy as he says he is, right? Yeah, there. no, I agree. I don't think he's going to play a back-to-back like ever again. That's certainly possible. I would love if the Pacers leaned into load management, even though fans would hate it. I okay, we have to get this out of the way. Load. I'm so sick of the term load management. I know you were just using because it's a colloquial term. <laughs> um, it's injury management. Like I think Glenn Rice, one of my favorite players, because I I just love random players who never won a championship. Actually, he won a championship, but he wasn't that big of a part of it. Um, but like when he played for the Hornets, who also those Hornets teams were really fun. They had like a 52 win team, uh, but you just never know because the Bulls kicked the shit out of them in the playoffs. Um, he had a year where he averaged, I think it was 27, three and three. I'm like just ridiculous efficiency. He shot 47% from three that year, obviously short in line and all that, but still one of the best years of all time. He played 43 and a half minutes per game and played every single game. And you look at a guy like Jamal Mashburn too. Jamal Mashburn, also one of my favorite players to watch. I love going back and watching his games from, from, from when he was playing in the early 2000s. He had the same thing. He was like an extremely high usage player, played like four or five straight years of 80 plus games and 41 plus minutes. And you see both those guys, they just have, I mean, Jamal Mashburn's career just ended because he got microfracture surgery. Glenn Rice's career just totally petered off because he was half the player he was because he just totally destroyed his body through playing the way that he did. And I think there's like, we totally like way over glamorize the idea of, Oh, well, this guy played 45 minutes tonight. Blah, blah, blah. He made his team win. I'm like, but you shouldn't be doing that because it's not good for your body. It's not good for this player. Like I think organizations are getting better at that, but I think there has to be like some kind of like some kind of, happy medium on that because it's it's a little frustrating to me i'm sorry i had to get my take off no i want to i i like a little management talk so i'll, I'll snipe, snipe in here 
Here is why I think load management has this terrible reputation because the first team that did it was the Spurs. Yep. And here, Greg Popovich would would just do it like right before a game. He'd be like, "Yeah, we're not playing our best four players." Just that was it. So it always was like a shock, and it never felt like strategy beyond just like Popovich being Popovich. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it was like, who's really vocal and always said steve kerr i guess yeah doc like maybe i don't know yeah yeah if it was steve kerr who was the first guy to really be on the load management train and when the games he would do it he'd come out and be like hey we're boosting our championship odds tonight by letting our players muscles relax and we have all this data that shows that this is the right move for us blah blah, blah. no one would have thought it was like some robbery the nba was taking from their fans by just like randomly having the team sit their players like popovich did not yeah. that pop is an amazing coach but that's how he did it right it was just a surprise like they actually got fined for one heat game that was on primetime where he just did it. So I think that the way it started is really what made it such a hot button topic around the league more so than what it actually is, because like, I get it. A lot of fans only see live the players once a year. That sucks. But in general, if they called it what it was and it's really just them maximizing their championship odds, I think people would care a little bit less. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like it's just, and especially too, like looking at Kawhi, like he's definitely not load management. It's legitimately like, it, it, like it, it, yeah, a it worked completely worked, but also like dude walks with a limp when he's not on the court. Yeah. Like it's a debilitating injury. Like it's not like he's just oh I really don't feel like playing tonight. Like it's like oh well if I do this I'm like barely gonna be able to walk tomorrow. Like I, I don't know. I think that's something important to keep in mind. So I agree. Yeah. Well, Tony, this was this was a blast, man. I uh, I always enjoy getting to talk some hoops. Um, what are you up to uh, this week as we kind of get ready for preseason starts in well, three days tomorrow when this drops, but four days from right now? Yeah, man, I'm uh, dying trying to keep up with writing right now, but I'm doing something on continuity, big data study, adding in some quotes. Ooh, I'm excited. Trying to figure out what that really means and how much better or not better it can make the Pacers because Dan Feldman of NBC dropped something on continuity today and the Pacers are bringing back like 98% of the minutes from last year, which is mm-hmm. in the top 15, I think, all time. Um, I'm not going that like data on compared to prior teams, but just what continuity can look like in terms of growth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to that. And then after that, it's going to be uh, the Goga stuff I mentioned earlier. They, they say they're going to play him more. They want to play him more, but a, how can they be, is it the right, you know, all that, all the, all the jazzy jazz on the, on the granulars of that. So that's where I'm at writing wise right now. Yeah. It's kind of, do you watch the Mandalorian? I do not. Oh, well, I don't have time for TV these days. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Did you watch Game <laughs> of Thrones? No. Oh, wow. I had two analogies cooked up for Goga that just aren't going to make do it for the listeners. Now, so. at least. Well, yeah, I was going to say baby Goga. He's like baby. Oh, you keep waiting <laughs> for him to actually like get to do his thing and it doesn't happen until the end of the first season. Um, and then he's the prince who was promised in Game of Thrones, but he doesn't come about until the eighth season. So, um, yeah, the eighth season of Game of Thrones suck. It did suck. Um, so that's, I, that's not, I don't mean that to foreshadow Goga. I'm just saying, um, <laughs> But yeah, well, alas, somebody will get that analogy. Hit me up on Twitter if you do. Um, Tony, thank you again. To everyone listening, of course, follow Tony, everything he does. Read us over on IndyCornrows.com. And of course, have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.